I've so appreciated the partnership that we've had with with your church over the years. Um, the the fellowship we can we can have together as churches, and also the um, the, the leadership aspect of of having uh, Pastor Jake as as a mentor and a friend in in our ministry as well. I also want to thank you for um, your prayers for my family uh, in this time. My wife. Um, was diagnosed with cancer a few weeks ago, and she goes for surgery this week. And we've uh, really been grateful for the prayers and support that we've received in the last uh, couple weeks. I want to begin by telling you about a book called *The Sunflower* by a man named Simon Wiesenthal. Now, Simon was alive during the Holocaust, and he's a Holocaust survivor. He was in the concentration camps in World War II. And the book, uh, the first part of it, begins with a story from his time in the camps. And then he asks questions, or the story caused him to ask a lot of questions about forgiveness. So Simon was working uh, in a concentration camp. They were putting him to work, and, and he was working one day near a hospital. And as he was working, um, a German Nazi soldier came and said, you come with me. So he went with this person, unsure what was going to happen. Was this going to be the end of his life? Was he going to be tortured? Uh, what was to come? He didn't know. But they bring him into a hospital room where there's a young man in very rough shape who appears to be dying. And he was, in fact, dying, this, this young man, this Nazi soldier. And they bring Simon in, and they sit him down beside this man, and he, this man begins to talk to Simon and tell him about his story, about his upbringing, about his life, about why he joined the army, about following Hitler, about all of the awful things he did to the Jewish people, the murders he committed, the torture that he inflicted. And then he asks Simon a question. He says, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Now, Simon had never met this man before in his life. It wasn't a guard from his camp. And he didn't know what to say. He says, who? He's thinking to himself, who am I? Am I God that I can forgive? This man did nothing to me personally. And so he didn't know what to say. Could he forgive this Nazi soldier? It's a fascinating and powerful story that uh, the, the subtitle of the book is on the possibilities and the limits of forgiveness. Now, while the, the Christian response to this, the second half of the book is a lot of essays about um, you know, different responses from different perspectives, and the Christian and the Jewish responses to it are not always the same about, about forgiveness and what it means and what's possible with it and what its limits are, but the one thing that they in fact have in common is that God can forgive our sins. So in this scenario, while Simon wasn't sure if he could forgive this man or not, and he didn't, in, in the end, uh, he, he didn't know what to say, so he didn't offer forgiveness because he didn't know if he was even rightly able to. But regardless of whether or not we have the right to forgive people for things they did to others or any of those kinds of things, the, the things we have in common with uh, people from a Jewish perspective is that God can, in fact, forgive our sins. Let's turn to Psalm 32. This is the, the passage that was scheduled for today and a psalm that I, that I love a lot personally. So I'll explain in a, in a bit. Psalm 32, we'll be reading um, all 11 verses. 
Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. That's the end of of this psalm. The first thing I want to draw our attention to about this is that it is a blessing to be truly forgiven. Now, the relationships that we we have with each other, maybe you've been in a situation where you've asked for forgiveness and people haven't granted it. And if you have, then you would know that is very painful. But with the Lord, in our walk with Him, He can and does offer us forgiveness. And it is truly a blessing to be forgiven, to have our sins washed away. The the Another thing we, we learn from this passage is that hiding our sin from God crushes us. In verse 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Have you ever been there where you've done something, where you've sinned in some way, and you're not ready to acknowledge it? Very often, we don't even acknowledge it to ourselves for a while, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. I was okay. And it takes time for us to sometimes acknowledge what what we've done. And that's uh, perfectly normal, although it's not easy or right. But when we do that, our sins begin to weigh on us. And it begins to, to feel like the psalmist said, My body wasted away, I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. It's a pretty vivid picture of difficulty, of challenges. Of, of something that, that would be torment for anyone who experiences that. So the psalmist sets us up in talking, well, first, first of all, rejoicing that, that it is a wonderful thing to be forgiven, and then saying, well, when we don't confess our sin, it's so heavy. It is like a burden that we just cannot bear. When we hide our sin, we live under a needless burden. There's a song that my wife and I have come to, to love um, by an artist that I've never met anyone else who, who's um, heard of her. And uh, I can't even remember her name at this moment, but she, she writes a song called Weightless. And, and she talks about the burden that she carries um, of, of sin, of guilt. And so then she leaves this burden. She says, I leave my burden on the tracks and now I'm weightless. And this picture of kind of walking along a railroad, carrying this huge burden, and then she decides 
some point, you know what, I don't have to carry this anymore. She puts down her load and she walks away and now she feels weightless. And that's the beautiful and vivid picture about the blessing of forgiveness and the burden of our sin. So the psalmist talks about this at the beginning, about the joy and the the freedom in forgiveness and the torment of carrying our sins. And then in verse 5, finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Then it says this, and you forgave me. All my sin is gone. In the Hebrew, it it kind of talks about God lifting this burden from us. That there, there's some of the words um, have this this kind of meaning where it says, "All my guilt is gone." But but the the, the word "gone" there, the, the picture for some of that is God actually taking it away from us, lifting it away, removing it from us. God lifts the burden of our sin. Psalm one hundred three eleven to twelve puts it this way: It says, "For." His unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. So when the psalmist says, my guilt is gone, that those same words are connected to this concept of God removing our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. God lifts the burden of your sin, of my sin. And this David, uh, the writer of this psalm, he offers this as a personal testimony. This, this is part of his story. He, he talks about this not just in theory, but in something that he lived out, something in his experience. He's testifying in this psalm that this was his life, not just some pie-in-the-sky thing, not just some academic thing, not just some story he heard at the marketplace or something he heard in church, something he actually lived out. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. For David, this is personal. Do we make the topic of forgiveness personal? The only way that this becomes powerful in our lives is if we make it personal, if this has implications for my life and for your life. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of interesting words or some theories. Maybe it might be like, the, the people who, who write in this book where they're debating back and forth about the limits of forgiveness between one to another. And it's just a, an academic thing in that sense. But for Simon in this book, it wasn't academic at all. This was his story. And while he asks academics for their input, and it's put together in, in this book, if we don't make forgiveness personal, then it loses its power. If forgiveness isn't personal, it loses its power. You know, this verse is actually a part of my personal testimony. It is the words of Psalm 32 that I read uh, the, the moments before I gave my heart to Jesus when I was younger. When I read verse 5 and it said, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me all my guilt is gone. And I began to ask questions about forgiveness in that moment, about, well, I knew that I needed forgiveness, and I knew that Jesus came to make a way for God to forgive us, and then I, I, I read this, and I, I thought, well, this is the Old Testament. This is, 
this is before Jesus came and God forgave before Jesus came, then why did Jesus have to come? Do you ever think about that? If God could forgive before Jesus came, why did Jesus have to come? And as I began to dig into that and to understand why Jesus had to come, then I decided to give my heart to Jesus. See, this passage points us to Jesus for exactly this reason. God forgave us, and he could forgive even before, but Romans 3, 25-26 puts it this way. He says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You see, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, and when David came to Jesus or to, to God for forgiveness, God was looking ahead at Jesus and said, Yes, there is something that needs to be made right with the situation with David. There was something that was, in a sense, unjust about David not being uh, punished for his sins. There was something that still needed to be healed, to made, be made whole, to be made right. And that doesn't just happen just by God um, not holding. David to the consequences of his actions and removing his sins from him. And that's what happens in Jesus. That's what this thing we call atonement is all about, is God actually making things right between us and him. And so God forgives David. And the reason that is possible is because, as Romans tells us, he's looking ahead to Jesus. And so David placing his trust in God, even before Jesus came, God says, you're now a part of my plan for salvation. And now Jesus, you know, he came 2,000 years ago. And so for us, we place our trust in God, in the person of Jesus, and we become a part of that thing that happened in the past. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we talk about forgiveness, we have to come back to Jesus. Even when we're looking in the Psalms, even when we're looking in the Old Testament, because Jesus is, is what all of this points to. God forgave David because he had a plan to make all things right with Jesus. Something this Psalm points us to is the reality that if you feel burdened by his sin, you can confess it to God and let him take it away. If you feel burdened by your sin, you don't have to carry that burden anymore. It's, it's like someone is walking with you and you have a very heavy pack and they're like, this isn't heavy for me. I've got this, you know, I can carry that for you. And you go, no, 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 I've got, I, I will do it. I will do it. And you carry this crushing weight mile after mile after mile. And they are there. It's not heavy for them. They can take care of it. Why do we choose that? Why do we choose to carry such a burden? Why do we choose to walk with such a heavy load? When God is there, 
willing and able. And in fact, he died to make this possible that we don't have to live under the crushing burden of sin any longer. 1 John 1.9 says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There's a little three-letter word in this that I find powerful. We confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it says, and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. Sometimes we come to God and we think, uh, well, God's forgiveness might handle my little sins, or God's forgiveness might be enough for that person over there, or this person over there, but not for me. Or not for my big sins. But you know what? God can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is what the Word of God says. When we think differently, when we go away from that, then we're actually departing from what God's Word tells us. And God's Word needs to be the basis of where we get these ideas. He is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin that God is not willing to forgive when we come to him and confess and repent our sins from our sins. The other reality that this psalm points us to, what I, what I love about this psalm is, is the kind of complete picture of, uh, that it's, it's, it includes so much in it, that it includes how crushing it is to hide our sin. It includes the, the fact that we can confess it to the Lord, and then when we do that, that God forgives us and that we can live in the joy and peace and freedom of that forgiveness. But then it also, in verse 8, continues. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. There's a promise and a warning here. The forgiveness of God does not leave us the same. God wants to guide us on better paths. That we sin, we work against the Lord, we carry the burden of that sin, and, and then we come to the Lord for that forgiveness. But, but here, this, this chapter doesn't leave us with the opportunity to, to you know, receive forgiveness and not be changed. To receive that forgiveness and go right back to our old lives and our old ways of sinning, that this forgiveness changes us. It changes the way we behave. It changes who we are. And then, like the Lord says that he will guide us along this. This is, this is not something that, that he says he might do, but he, he is actively working to guide us along the best pathways for our lives. He advises us. He watches over us. He gave us the Word of God that gives us so much wisdom and insight for all of that. And then he says, do not be like a senseless horse or mule. Don't just give up. Don't just go back to your old ways. And, and, and then after this, don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Um, if you've worked with animals some, then you know they can be a little bit stubborn. And then to get them to go where they ought to go, you've got to kind of pull them around. And, uh, and, and it's not always very gentle or easy to get those animals to go where they need to go, even when it's for their own good. Um, I had to trim the, the bangs of one of our alpacas when we first got them. 
and we, we have a couple of alpacas, they kind of guard our sheep, um, which it's, those interactions are quite hilarious sometimes. But this one alpaca, he looked a little bit like a hippie, and he had his hair covering his eyes. And, and they get a bit more aggressive when their hair covers their eyes because they can't really see so well. But they were new to us, and, and so now I had to build enough trust with this alpaca to get close to it, and that took a while. And, and then when I finally was able to get him to trust me enough that I could you know, wrap my, my arm around around his neck a little bit, and now I have to bring scissors close to his face. <laughs> and he's pulling away and going this and that and the other thing. And, and it just like, it's this picture of this stubborn animal that I'm wanting to help it, wanting to do something that's good for it. I'm wanting to do something that will remove its fear, remove this burden of not being able to see, remove this, this, this burden of the, this cloud in front of it that it can't see the dangers around or see what's going on. And I'm wanting to help this creature. And it's pulling and fighting and tearing away, which makes my job all the more difficult, which makes the task all the more dangerous because I'm bringing something sharp close to its eyes. Now, thankfully, I was able to do this uh, without any harm coming to the animal, but um, our, our dear Edison sure put up a fight as I tried to do that. And afterwards, then he was a much better alpaca. He was not nearly as scared, not nearly as frightened, because he allowed me, well, he tried to not allow me, but I kind of had, well, like it says in here, be controlled with a bit and a bridle. And so these, these, this picture of, of, an, of a beast, of an animal, needing to be under control for its own good, that's a very different picture than someone willingly walking with the Lord as their father. When God forgives us, he doesn't leave us the same. The forgiveness of God transforms us and teaches us. And he says, don't be like that. Don't be like Edison the alpaca. Don't be like horses or mules where you have to use a bit and a bridle to keep these stubborn creatures in line. Submit to the work of God to transform your heart. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it requires us to do things that are not easy. But this is what the Lord says is the best pathway for your life. God has our best interest at heart. This picture of forgiveness we're given in Psalm 32 is not anything light and fluffy. It's got meat to it. The picture of forgiveness that we have is, is something profoundly deep it's not just, uh, yay, you know, you're, you're off scot-free, now go have fun. It's, it's, more, it's more than that. Yes, we don't pay the penalty of our sin. Yes, the burden of sin is lifted. And yes, we rejoice in that beautiful freedom. But we also then are asked to follow the Lord, to be transformed. And we're warned not to go the way of the beast, of the senseless horse or mule, in the last couple of verses, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. And that's the last point I want to make, is that we are told to rejoice in the forgiveness given to us. This weighty thing, this this forgiveness, this sin that's removed from us. 
that God, the one who has the power to forgive sin, actually removes our sins from us. Think about your sins for a moment. Think about the things you've done that have, that have lived against God, the things you have done that have harmed people in your life, those things that you have done that have harmed your own soul. And if we think about the, that kind of list, even just for a couple of seconds, wow, that's humbling, isn't it? Makes us feel about this big because that weight is just really heavy. And then think about God who lifts that burden from us and says, I have better for you, my child. You don't have to live under this crushing weight. There are better ways to live. There are better ways to be. Follow me. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And this, my friends, it's great reason for us to rejoice. Our sin is gone. It was nailed to the cross. For David, it was held until Jesus came, and for us, it was taken care of long ago. But because of the work of Jesus, people of the past, before Jesus came, people at the time Jesus came, and people for all time can come to the cross to receive forgiveness from God. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Are you ready to leave behind your sin, to set down that burden, to receive God's forgiveness and allow the Lord to lead you to a better path? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that even in the time of David that you made a way for him to be forgiven. And more than that, that you had a plan to make all things right in this world through the work of your son on the cross. God, I pray that as each one of us reflect on, on our sins of our past and present, Lord, that you would give us the strength, give us the courage to hand that burden to you, to receive your freedom, your forgiveness, and to be transformed to follow new paths, Lord, to follow in your ways. Lord, may we rejoice in the beautiful truth that you forgive us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.